welcome to Knitter Square. I'm your host Leanne Hunt and I hope you'll pick up your knitting and spend the next little while with me as we share that warm fuzzy feeling that comes when we knit and crochet for charity. Welcome to the first episode of the Knitter Square podcast. So I'm sitting here in my studio, which is a little place at my home, and I'm busy knitting because, of course, that's what I do all the time. I've been a charity knitter for Knitter Square for about four years now, and it occurred to me that it would be really fun for our members, because we're such a global community across the world, for me to start a podcast to um, let everybody hear my voice and so that I could share in a more informal manner what we do at the barn in Johannesburg and a little bit of news about the volunteers and the distributions that we do. So I think I'll just start by saying I wonder how you found the podcast because I know that um, our members have been alerted to it for some time. So maybe you're one of our members who've uh, been waiting for the podcast to arrive and you've managed to find it. And if this is the first time you've ever listened to a podcast, which I know that for some of our members it is that, um, well done for finding it. And um, I really hope that you'll press the subscribe button so that you can get episodes as they come in. Um, I'm planning to release this podcast every two weeks. Now, um, a little bit about myself. My name's Leanne Hunt. I'm married. I have two grown-up daughters. One of them is married. Um, neither of them are particularly passionate about knitting, but I'm sure that they'll pick up the craft probably around the same time as I did, which is I started knitting seriously uh, for charity when my children were in in primary school. And it was on the basis of the fact that they had been asked by their teachers to provide squares, knitted squares for charity blankets. Um, I actually started knitting much earlier than that. Um, I was around nine years old and my cousin and I, who, my cousin who's the same age as me, we were on holiday at the beach with nothing to do, rainy weather. And um, I think it was probably my mother that said, you know, go into grandma's knitting stash and see what she's got and I'll teach you to knit. So we came away with lots and lots of different colored wool and various textures and um we probably cast on like 20 stitches and began our very clumsy start to a knitting career. Um, and that first scarf that I produced was certainly not even useful as a scarf. It was just a, a sort of a swatch with lots of crazy colors, lots of dropped stitches, and the shape certainly wasn't straight-edged. <laughs> anyway, I went on from there. Later on, um, began knitting much more seriously and I went through a stage of knitting a lot of jerseys. I even knitted a dress and a long jacket. Um, then I went on to knitting cables and I enjoyed knitting cushion covers. And um, later on with the K of facet craze, I became very passionate about color knitting. And at that stage, I was doing a lot of really involved patterns, um, mosaics and things like that, which I really loved. It gave me huge satisfaction to be able to pull those off. But the other thing is, if, if you're not a regular member of Knitter Square and you've sort of picked up the podcast just because you love knitting, the other thing is that um, I am actually legally blind. I started going blind when I was in my early teens from a condition called macular degeneration, actually juvenile onset macular degeneration. And that meant that by the age of 17, I... Um, I was legally blind, I wasn't able to read normal text, and I certainly couldn't drive, 
which made knitting quite problematic. And initially I was able to see the difference between colors that were fairly close together on the spectrum. But uh, by the time I was about 30, I couldn't, uh, and I had to go to very plain, plain um, colors. Well, certainly bright colors were fine and pastels were fine, but I certainly couldn't match them with any intricacy with regard to pattern. Um, but by that stage, I'd actually learned to knit by feel, so it really wasn't a problem. And um, mind you, I must just <laughs> I must just say, please excuse my voice. I don't usually sound so croaky. It's just this introductory episode that's going to be a bit like this. Um, by the time I was sort of uh, 25 or so, I was knitting a lot by feel. And by the time my children were at the age where they were asking me for knitting for squares and it's for charity I was probably in my late 30s and at that stage it suited me very well to knit, knit squares for charity and I'd been doing that for a long time um uh, late 30s late 40s I think I was when in fact I was probably in my 50s already when I came across knit a square so already I'd been knitting squares for charity and making blankets and giving blankets away to local um, hospitals and wherever a church group was perhaps doing a distribution. But it became difficult because, as you all know, um, I don't drive. And so getting out to people who actually needed the, the blankets was always a problem for me. Finding Knitter Square was wonderful because it's an organization that had been established in 2008, so it was already going strong. And when I um, discovered them, I found a very vibrant community of people many of whom were knitting. Then, of course, there were all the parcels that came in from overseas full of squares. We had volunteers working once a week, every Tuesday, in what we call the barn, which is a big warehouse type of thing with a big table where we sort squares into colors and uh, sizes. And then those blankets, at least those squares, go out in packs to um, what we call gogos, our grandmothers, who are, are often elderly ladies living in townships, um, unemployed, looking for a bit of extra handwork to do for a bit of extra cash. Um, our gogos uh, combine the squares into blankets. Those blankets are then collected, brought back to the barn and repacked for distributions, which are done to creches and orphanages and informal settlements where the children are really, really under-resourced. Often the creches and the, um, the orphanages themselves are um, they don't have many toys and things for the children and certainly nothing new. It's often just secondhand things that get passed along to these places. So the distributions happen um, on a weekly basis. And in fact, on you know a couple of uh, often we'll have one or two distributions, at least two or three distributions on a day. And they are sort of anywhere between 30 to, uh, distribution to 30 children, 70 children, maybe 120 children. We've done a distribution up to 900. So um, obviously we're talking about a lot of blankets going through the system. And when I came across Knitter Square, it was just wonderful for me because um, suddenly I was part of a group that were avid knitters and avid supporters of charities. But I didn't have to actually do the logistics of finding somebody to sew up the squares for me and distribute them to needy people. So that's how I became involved in Knitter Square. 
And my role at the, at the organization has not been so much in sorting squares, because of course I can't see well enough to sort them into matching colors and things. Um, so I tend to um, gather the news and distribute it on my blog. The blog is um, on the website, uh, which you can find at www.knit-a-square.com. Um, we're on the podcast page, um, which you will find if you just look up at the navigation bar. Um, but if you do go to the website um, on the main page, you will probably find a link to that warm fuzzy feeling, which is the name of my blog. Um, and I do a, a twice monthly update on what's happening for members. Um, but besides my blog, you'll also find lots and lots of other activity from our members, um, reports on all sorts of distributions on the various groups, like there's a UK group, an American group, a Canada group, an Australian group, um, groups for various people who are interested in specific kinds of knitting and crocheting. Um, and our forum is very, very active. We have moderators who suggest themes for every month. Uh, the ladies put their photographs of, of what they're knitting um, up on the forum. And it's, it's hugely inspirational. So I really encourage you to go across to the website and have a look. Have a good explore because there's lots to see. Um, we even have a Nissa Square shop, which is called the KAS store. And you can find all sorts of handy things that you could order through them. And of course, all proceeds from the store go to the running of, of Nissa Square. So I think that's all from me for this very first trailer episode. And um, pretty soon the episodes will be coming out regularly, as I say. So please look out in your feed if you subscribe to the podcast. Um, and alternatively, if you don't wish to subscribe, you can just look out on the website for notifications. Or if you subscribe to the Nessa Square newsletter, which you can do through the website as well, through the forum, um, you'll get notification of when the, the podcast is airing. But um, I hope you'll join our regular community. Uh, we're going to be having a lot of fun. I'm soon going to be getting Rhonda in as a co-host. She is the lady who originally started up Knitter Square 10 years ago with her niece, Sandy. So um, having Rhonda on will be lovely because then it won't just be my voice we'll be able to knit together and discuss all sorts of issues and I know that you'll enjoy that immensely so that's for all from me signing off you can find show notes at www.knit-a-square.com slash kas-podcast please tell your friends about this podcast if you've enjoyed it and you can share links on facebook twitter and wherever your knitting friends congregate together we are bringing hope to south africa's vulnerable children one square at a time